Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Ad News Podcast, the podcast that celebrates the industry's penchant for a sociable drop and a chat. Welcome to the Ad News Podcast, produced for us by Nova. This is a special edition of our podcast from our Ad News Live Reframing Australia event. So my name is Tongyo. I'm the Managing Director of Identity Communications and obviously we help governments and brands. So some of the um, brands we work with, um, New South Wales Government, Sydney Water, Meat and Livestock, um, Australia, um, Johnson Johnson and Optus. Um, um, before I introduce you to our panel, um, I wanted to just get a bit of a show of hands. So um, we're, we're getting into three problems three brands and three solutions. So we're trying to get to the, the practical end of town. So it would be great for our panellists if we got a show of hands on what industry you're from. So I'm going to run it through. So I'll give them an idea of who they're talking to. So who's here, um, who are here from a government uh, background? Yeah. Um, brands? Agencies? And media? Right, so it's pretty even. <laughs> so we can't really tell it to anybody. So, um, so I um, I just like to introduce you to the panel, and I'm just so I just feel great that we can actually get a panel of all the experts in here to to answer your questions. And I'm going to try and move this quickly, so you you have time to ask your own questions that's relevant to your brand. So, firstly, to my left, I've got Georgina Leonatis. She's the client director at Multi Connections. Um, Georgina is um, eight and a half, uh, more than eight years with the agency. She's spearheaded highly strategic, insights-based and targeted campaigns in over 50 languages for clients including Telstra, Medibank, The Iconic and Moe Hennessy, to name just a few. Um, Georgina is dedicated to delivering integrated campaigns to capture the hearts and minds of multicultural audiences. Um, she really believes that strategies um, enable brands to reach a total market and actively encourages collaborations with clients and their partner agencies to achieve the best results. So that's Georgina. And the next to Georgina is Mashila Pillay. She's the cultural director of Densu Mitchell. Um, and that's another thing I, I love, um, um, a big agency with their own multicultural resource. Mashila um, works predominantly across key government clients, including obviously one of the biggest advertisers, the Australian government. She has over 20 years of media experience locally and internationally. Mashila started her media career in South Africa, initially as a print journalist and then as a radio producer for the South African Broadcasting Corporation before moving into the field of marketing and advertising. Prior to joining Densu Mitchell, 
Michelle has spent six years with SBS in the in-language advertising and production teams in both Melbourne and Sydney. And next to Michelle is Lorraine Djokovic, the CEO of Loud. Lorraine is... It's an interesting one. Lorraine is the CEO of Loud Communications Group. Loud is the only mainstream agency in Australia to provide multicultural services, a concept called Total Market, where brands can talk to all Australians. Lorraine is also Director of Communications Council and Chair of the Diversity Inclusion Committee. And last Hi. but um, uh, not least, Lou Petrollo is the managing partner of ECOM, um, which is part of the um, SGW Ogilvy Group. Lou has over 15 years expertise in multicultural communications, working both specialist and large multinational agencies, as well as for SBS. His experience extends across a variety of public and private sector categories, including technology, health, sport, government and financial services. Um, he's currently the managing partner of ECOM, Australia's longest established multicultural communications agency. So now that you've got the intro out of the way, I just want to jump straight into um, our first question. Um, brand one, it's about government. So I'm a government agency trying to get the message out about a new vaccine for children. I'm struggling to get um, take up with young families in suburban and regional areas. There is a deadline of the vaccine of 12 months. A quick, highly targeted campaign is needed. Mashila, you work on the Australian government account. What would you do? Absolutely, Tang. And we just recently did a similar campaign, which was an immunisation campaign that was done um, nationally. So pretty much if we're looking specifically at the culturally diverse audiences within this brief, and by culturally diverse audiences we mean both from a culturally and linguistically diverse background as well as um, our Indigenous audiences as well. And I had to mention it because my colleague is sitting here. Um, within that, we cannot look at any brief targeting culturally diverse audiences if we don't know what the mainstream strategy is. So in terms of understanding what's the relevant fit with, this, with, with, these, uh, with these audiences, it's understanding what's the broader picture of where, where they sit. So in particular with this campaign, it's obviously starting with the, the key word as in why. What is the insight behind it? Why is there, number one, a low intake of the vaccine? Is it, is it because certain audiences um, have a complacent attitude towards it? Is it that there's misinformation about it? How do we arrive at that? And then within this brief, which is interesting, it's again targeting a very young demographic. And a lot of agencies, uh, when they look at young demographics, and especially when it's culturally and linguistically diverse young demographics, it Im immediately comes to mind, yes, the English proficient, we can capture them as part of the mainstream. Why is there a need for us to do anything differently? But I think where the difference comes in with that is, and, and one of my colleagues was pointed out, in certain communities, there's four sets of, uh, four, four grandparents, those grandparents have a huge and enormous influence on what happens in these audiences. So with this particular campaign, what we did was looked at it from a national approach, but within that we also did a level of geotargeting in terms of where, where are they low intake of these vaccines. And within that again did another filter, do any of these suburbs or areas have audiences that has a high percentage either of a indigenous audience or a culturally and linguistically diverse audience. 
So with the diverse audiences, we're able to then drill down into which specific uh, cultural groups needed to be targeted. So while the mainstream campaign focused on a digitally-led campaign, as well as, as social media, with the, uh, with the cultural audiences, we added another layer and worked on who are the influencers that sit behind this. A lot of young families have uh, their parents that live with them, or parents who visit, and parents who do take kids to school and things. So we added another layer of um, targeting where we looked at ethnic media and looked at how we could target these audiences. Yeah. So you're saying data is really important in terms of identifying not just the audiences, but where they live and then the influence on top. So that, that, that's the above the line approach. I was just wondering, Georgina, what, do you, um, what could you add to that in terms of something that's another way to reach the community? Sure. Uh, the beauty of these audiences is that they are highly targetable, both geographically, as we know, and you would have heard all the stats about where they're living and uh, what they're doing and where they're doing their shopping and all of that. Um, but further to that, they're also very targetable through their community-centric events, festivals, community gatherings, and also through community influences. And uh, we've seen research, including government research, that shows uh, one of probably the most influential touch point where these audiences are really receptive to information is at their own community events and gatherings. That's not to say that you would necessarily go out with a vaccination message at a Diwali festival, for example, uh, but this just shows you the power of that community connect. Uh, with that in mind, a sensitivity is kind of required for a message like this, obviously. Uh, What's really important is to kind of build trust and what's the best way to do that, particularly when you have a finite period of time, is to leverage existing trusted sources of information and kind of working closely and collaborating with key influencers, including health influencers. So at MultiConnections, we've done a lot of great work with health influencers, including community GPs. Now, why a community GP is important? Obviously, for a lot of communities, they go to a community GP because of the language dependency. Uh, but for a lot of audiences, that language dependency is not necessarily the reason that they go to their community doctor. It's because of that cultural understanding and that trust factor, which is really important. So working with those influences, we find, really kind of shares that message in a very credible and trustworthy fashion. Uh, I would say another key influencer that you would really need to engage with for a, for a kind of comms piece around the vaccine would obviously be the mother. Uh, and there's this, there's this great line in the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, where the Greek mum turns to her daughter and she says, the father may be the head of the household, but the mother is the neck and she can turn the head any way she wants. Uh, and that's so true for these audiences. Uh, grandparents are also a huge influencer, but the mother is really at the heart of the family, especially when it comes to the well-being of the child. So that's something that would be really important to really engage with the mothers. And that can be done on a local level as well. The, the, the beauty of these audiences, as I've said, is that it is really quite targetable if you've got the right connections with the right networks. Uh, I would also say that media is really important from an above-the-line perspective, but also they are such an influencer with a lot of these community groups. A lot of these media um, titles have been around for years and years, and they're actually now trusted and respected sources of information. So looking at a non-paid non media approach as well with these uh, media titles would be really important, kind of seeding editorial and messages and stories around why this vaccine uh, would be quite beneficial for the family. Um, and just one final point, um, I think all of this 
is kind of moot if you're not really putting forward the right message uh, creatively. And we know with these audiences, they're very community-centric and very family-centric. It's all about the we, it's never about the I. It's always about we, the family, the family unit, um, and further to the point around the grandparents, the parents, um, the close family and friends that have kind of become even more of a unit here because they need each other, especially when they start out in a new country. So really looking at that kind of community-centric message um, and that you know, focusing on the brighter future. They've come here for a, a bigger, better, brighter version of the future that they may have had at their, in their country of origin. So really kind of looking at that as from a creative messaging perspective. Yep. Yeah. Lou, what do, you, what do you think? What else would you add? Well, I think one of the key parts of this um, scenario is the speed, so the time, the time frame. So we need to be in market quickly. The message needs to be in market quickly and they need to respond because they've got 12 months. So... Knowing government, they've got funding for this program, they need to see results, they need to see outcomes quickly. So the beauty of multicultural marketing and using these channels that Michelle and Georgina are talking about is that you went, you know, when you're working with the, the you know, trusted experts and people who know what they're doing, you can actually get into the market quite quickly and quite cost-effectively. These channels are accessible. Um, if you're using, you know, ideally we use you know, tailored creative and we use messaging that is you know, targeting the communities in a right way with the right insights, but it's very easy for us to be able to adapt messages and get them into market through the right channels quickly and you know, for a fraction of the cost, what it would cost for mainstream media. Can I, sorry, can I just pick up on the adaptation point that you made? So we do a lot of work, obviously, um, with one stream, which is government, both New South Wales and federal. Um, and I think, interestingly, uh, not, not New South Wales as much, but certainly federal often brief their campaigns separately. So multicultural is briefed and, and um, mm -hmm. mainstream is briefed and therein lies a, a real issue because yeah. if yes. you <laughs> actually need to get the messaging right at the top end and at the, at the strategy end, so that means you need those insights, which government is always blessed with because they do really rigorous research. Um, you need to actually tip all your community insights into the overarching strategy and then you need an overarching creative platform mm -hmm. that then you can execute, and that delivers so much more efficiency. It allows you to get to your point to market a lot quicker. It allows you to tactically deploy in each community, but it's crucial because I think probably, and I'm, I haven't worked with you guys, but um, certainly with Lou, you, if you've seen what we've seen, which is things that just don't fit together, <laughs> you know, and it's a disaster, frankly. Um, so if you're talking about gaining results, and particularly in the health space, it needs to start at the top end. It's interesting. It's a really interesting point um, that you raised because we, we have that same issue. So we worked um, on the New South Wales immunisation campaign and it could... Um, um, so exactly <coughs> to your point, we were briefed together with the mainstream agency. Yeah, they do. Um, because it's just too late to, to um, adjust a message. Because if you look at... If anyone's work, ever worked on um, immunisation, you kind of get a feel that there's a big debate, um, the vax and anti-vax um, sort of camps. Um, when we actually looked at multicultural audiences, the overriding insight we found was, um, tell me the benefits and tell me the cost. Mm. Um, so you don't have this behavioural change or you don't necessarily have this debate that you need to have in multicultural audiences um, and, and Indigenous audiences. The research shows the same. There's a trust in, in the government in rolling out the vaccine 
they just need to know, does it cost? And when you tell them it's free, um, that activates it. So I guess the point um, that the panel is making is need to look at um, you know, above, below the line messaging. And I, I take Lorraine's point, unless you're brief right at the start, everything else is trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. So I'm hoping that's something that you can think about when you go back to, to briefing your agency. No, so um, you heard a bit from Sheba about uh, WeChat and um, um, other people about WeChat. Brand 2 specifically about it, it's, about, it's a vitamin supplement company. So we are a vitamin supplement brand. Our target audience in Australia are the over 50s, a saturated competitive market. But China's given us fabulous growth um, over the years. But recent changes to importing regulations have slowed that growth. We've largely ignored the multicultural market in Australia, though. So how can we take our learnings from China um, and then execute it here? Lorraine. Um, carefully <laughs> would probably be my response to that. So. Um, the China market's proven to be really fruitful, obviously, for a lot of FMCG companies in Australia um, for the very reason a previous speaker um, uh, talked about, um, the gentleman from EPOC, um, and that is uh, based on trust of the origin of the product that we have, the purity of that product, because there are issues in China with Chinese products. So we've seen vitamin companies, um, we've seen baby formula companies do really, really well. There's some challenges at the moment, but that, that's legislative and trade challenges, which I think we're, they're working to overcome. Um, however, the Chinese audience in China are motivated by different things to the Chinese audience in Australia. Um, and that is all around the trusted source of food and produce. Um, they also, which is really interesting, um, has anyone here heard of the Daigo Agent Network? Hands up. Yep, cool. So um, Daigo means to buy on behalf of somebody else, roughly. It's my version of it. <laughs> um, but in Australia, there are roughly 40,000 um, agents who buy product on behalf of those people at home in China. Um, and it, that has grown now to such a large part of commerce that there's a company called AU Make, which just launched on the Australian Stock Exchange, I think, last week and was oversubscribed. They are a commercial retail network of Daigao agents. Mm -hmm. So, and they are looking, obviously, for huge growth. Now, what's really interesting, and they make the point, which is completely true, and that is that the relationship with the Daigo agent for the people back in China is more important than the brand here. So I think if you've got sales happening in China, you can take some of the learnings, but you also have to overlay it with what's happening here in Australia with people of Chinese background, but very different drivers and motivations. So I think it's really important to understand that, yes, you can have some learnings, um, which might be broad cultural insights, but at the same time, you also need to understand that you've got people, and you saw the stats before, living in Australia, having lived here for a long time, coming over, working in this environment and having different relationships with brands and products than those in China are having. So they're really clear. Yeah. So my view, my view would be that if you wanted some advice to take away is, yes, have a look at those learnings you can from China but you need to do research into the market here, as you would with any other market, 
um, that you work with in Australia. Understand their drivers and motivations and understand the cultural insights that are going to make them uh, be drawn to your brand. And there are certain things that are important. So in health, for example, digestion is a major issue um, and it is a major driver. So make sure you have digestive products on the shelf. Make sure you bulk pack because we talk about sharing communities and people buying for families, etc. And make sure the value, not the price, make sure the value is strong um, and that you have good distribution of your product geographically located where we know our communities cluster. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Lou, what would no, you do? Sorry, long answer. No, I'm just building on what Lorraine said. So... Um, Obviously, the Diagower network is, is crucial, and as you were saying, you know, in, in, in some respects, the, uh, the reputation and the uh, advocacy from the Diagower is more important than mm. how the brand is perceived. Um, and it's grown to such a point now where the, um, the Diagower market is really segmented. You've got your, real, your small players, your medium-sized, right up to stock exchange-listed companies now. Um, and in terms of being able to get that penetration into the market and get that reach into the market, you really do need to you know, tap into this phenomenon. It, it's, it's happening, and this, this commercial e-commerce opportunity is going to continue to grow. Mm. So brands that are, that are clever and say, OK, um, we can either just sit back and allow our products to, to go, or we can actually control the process. Because the danger with any grey market is that if it becomes too big and too unwieldy, mm. it actually it takes over your brand. So that's what happened to Bellamy's with, uh, the, the, you know, with their... Baby formulas that they allowed the Digo to basically dictate, you know, and control their brand. So you really do need to take a measured, structured approach to this. You really do need to put some thinking behind it and reach out to a guide Digo network. probably not just, you know, it's it's difficult to engage a smaller Digo, but there are sort of the medium level Digo who are students who are suddenly realising they can make a lot more money uh, exporting product overseas than they can. You know, uh, you know, just waiting for you know the paycheck to come from from China or from India. But um, yeah, certainly they realise that there's an opportunity there to actually commercialise this and to build an e-commerce platform. And if you engage those Diagal in the right way, using WeChat and Weibo and using the pla- the social media platforms that they do, um, and tapping into the the groups they have. So um, each Diagal will have their own network. They'll have their WeChat network or their uh, and. WeChat being an engagement media, they, they talk about the products, they talk about why you choose this, this brand over that brand, they liaise with their, um, their, their market back in China, they get that information back, then they share it amongst the groups. So they, they, they're actually evolving into the kind of influences that you want for your brand. So 
putting some structure and, and, and um, you know, controlling that conversation is very important. So can, can I ask um, either one of you? Um, we hear a lot about Weibo, we hear a lot about WeChat. What, you know, can, can someone explain to me what the difference is? For the Chinese audience, WeChat is life. There is mm. no overstating it. Uh, it's, it's an ecosystem where in China you can use WeChat to do everything from uh, booking a taxi to transferring money to your friend to buying something online to video calling and the list goes on and on and on. So the power of WeChat is not something that could actually be overstated. Uh, I do find it, unfortunately, gets understated a fair bit here in Australia. Mm. And I think it's fair enough. A lot of people quite find, find it quite difficult to understand the concept of it. It is different. It's kind of a hybrid between uh, Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp and everything all together. Uh, but it's something that's worth looking at. Uh, the, user, the user base in Australia is huge. Uh, it's... 90, 95% Chinese um, that are on the app, uh, and it's, it's, you just can't, you can't overstate it. The other thing I'd like to say is think of your Chinese in Australia as your micro-influencers when it comes to Australian-made products. Um, they are really influential with the Chinese diaspora in China and around the world uh, when it comes to talking about and advocating Australian-made products specifically. So here's a couple of um, the tips that we we found in in our um, dealings. Exactly your point. We have a, um, a supplement drink for pregnant mothers, um, and they came to us and they said we we really want to crack the Chinese market because that's you know that's where all the money is. Um, and we looked at the budget and we said that's probably not possible with the budget you've given us. What you can do is exactly your point. We actually said why don't you target the Australian market? It's still significant. We're talking about a million people who speak Chinese in Australia um, and then use them as influencers to introduce your brand overseas. Mm. So maybe think about that as another way um, to approach it. Mm. And secondly, we have other clients who come up to us and all they want us to do is put ads on WeChat. That's all they want to do. They don't want to do anything else because of that exact point. You know, it's a whole ecosystem. You can make payments. You can do all these things. We kind of said to them, that's in China. And it's to your point, Lorraine, you need to look at the, the conditions. You cannot do half of the stuff that you can do in China on WeChat that you can, uh, uh, in Australia, that you can do in China. Payments between people uh, are not possible. Um, you can actually build mini sites in WeChat in China and deploy them out, but you can't do that um, in Australia. Um, the other thing, um, if you had to compare the, the difference between the two, with WeChat, it's an, exactly your point, it's an influencer... So um, it's like a, a, a WhatsApp. It's people who follow you. Mm. So when that gets pushed out, there's no... Um, we have agencies that say, can we target 18 to 34 who live in Sydney? You can't do that mm. because it's not a targeting um, platform. And that's... Um, although, having said that, there's 1.5 million people on WeChat in Australia. So we always mix our strategies with Weibo, for example, where you can actually target by interest... Mm. Um, you can't go down as far as state, but you can, you can isolate to Australia. You can, um, you can segment by gender and a few other things. So when you look at... I think the point that everyone's made here is you need to kind of look at the market and just look at China as a different market to Australia and tailor it as you would um, and, you know, with reason. 
So um, I'd also just like to say, don't be afraid of WeChat. Uh, there are people that are experts in that space and they're expert in that space for a reason. Um, and, you know, our AG agency, for example, we've partnered with WeChat agency in China because we're seeing that need now from marketers in Australia to really crack that uh, WeChat space. And, and it's really important, but please don't be afraid of it. Just ask questions and, mm. and you'll get the answers. So the, um, the final question um, before we, we um, break out to your own questions, um, Brand3. Now, when I read this question, it sounded exactly like I was talking to, or my client talking to me. So I'm going to read this out and see if you can identify it. those of you who work for agencies or those of you who have to work with the chief marketing officer or chief sales officer. Have you ever heard a question like this? <laughs> I'm a national grocery, uh, grocery brand. Our traditional target audience is primarily grocery buyers. Most of our advertising budget is allocated to TV, brochures, print and digital. It's all in English. I know that Australia's demography is changing, but our campaigns are very visual. They depend on weekly product specials and pricing. Frankly, I only care about sales. What's the benefit of advertising to multicultural communities? Um, so can this actually give me a better ROI? <laughs> Lorraine. Well, I'm going to say yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, of course. I mean, if you convince got, me, okay, pardon. Convince me. Oh, um, if you've got the number of um, uh, people who sit within um, the diverse area, we know that they're not all shopping at mainstream grocery brands. We all know that. Um, we know, for example, that. Um, it appears Aldi built their profile here in this country by tapping into the multicultural markets. Um, there are also now specialist stores. There was one down the road from me called Comart, which is a Korean supermarket, which is sensational, by the way. Um, but, you know, so what's happening is if they're popping up and they're growing, then the mainstream, or sorry, the multicultural audiences are not being served properly by this. And it's really interesting because I've had this discussion with a number of large grocery brands. And they have always resolved that the problem they can't solve because it's a product and distribution problem, because they believe they can't put the heartland product for certain cultures within their stores. It's got to be pretty much benchmark across with a couple of variations here and there. And my view is it's not actually a product issue. It's actually a brand issue, um, because the reality is um, you're going to buy soap powder, you're going to buy dishwashing liquid, you're going to buy all of the other kinds of brands, and if you don't have a relationship with those brands, you're going to default to price. And that's where people mm. like Aldi and the other stores come in. So it's absolutely crucial. I think it's a branding issue. I think you can use the platforms that you talk about, which was, um, I assume, catalogues, etc. If it's highly visual, that's fantastic. No issue there and you just make the effort to get out into the communities in language, promoting the products that you, through your research, have made the effort to find out what they're actually going to buy, and you do it in language. So that's it. It's that simple. And you're able to capture people who are in a much broader audience who we know are shopping elsewhere. I mean, I think I get really frustrated because I think it's a sitter um, for brands and certainly for grocery chains who've got the wrong view of what the problem is. Georgina, surely I've got these flies in English. It's a picture, it's a price. 
why would I need to go into multicultural? Yeah, and look, the assumption is that visuals do the talking, mm. and sure, they do the talking if it's the right visuals. Uh, but if you've really got to look at each group and, and find out what are their needs, what are they, what are their wants, and interestingly, at MultiConnections, we did um, some research for a large grocery chain with the Muslim audience. And, I mean, look, there are suburbs like Auburn where 43% of the suburb is populated by people of Muslim faith. Now, if that's not a reason to look at the local area and what your customer needs, I don't know what is. Uh, you know, they have really obviously specific needs around their halal products, which everyone's aware of, uh, but they're so specific that the mantra is, if in doubt, don't buy it go somewhere else. Um, so I think there's a real way in with grocery chains that in those areas that really wanted to kind of engage with the Muslim audience and it, it makes commercial sense. Mm. Uh, be clear, be trustworthy, uh, clearly mark things and if you can't do it well, okay, then don't do it. Uh, let's look at the fact that they have uh, larger family size so they do a lot of bulk consumption and special offers um, are really well received by that community for example. So it's really about looking for ways in with that audience. If you don't have the culturally relevant product, that's okay. Look at what else they need. Like Lorraine said, they, they still need washing powder. They still need loo paper. They need everything. Uh, it's just about where are they going to go. And if you're not part of the conversation, they will automatically just go mm. to price. Yeah. Yeah. And we find that with clients that are not grocery chain related as well, any kind of retail uh, client, you know, if, you, if you're not giving them a reason to talk about you, well, they're not going to talk about you. Even if you look at areas like Parramatta, where it's 35% South Asian, Hurstville is now 40% Chinese. I mean, these, mm. these are big areas. And I think that retail marketers specifically who are not looking at the cultural makeup of the areas where their retail spots are, are really missing a trick yeah. because there, there is a big opportunity there. Yeah. yeah. Michelle. I, I think w where the problem lies with the major supermarket outlets, tongue, it's, it's, it's an on-off approach. Mm. They only appear at um, Chinese New Year or at a Diwali, or if there's a refurbishment of a store, a new sh store opening that's got a certain demographic. And I think where that needs to change, and you know, as it's been pointed out, grocery buyers are there all the time. So mm. they are buying toilet paper and they are buying washing powder. And I think what is needed from, from these major supermarket chains is sometimes it's just a matter of putting a little bit more investment to reach a completely new market. So it's about using probably similar creative where again, if it is about, um, if it is about the pitches, but again, having material that's just done to reach uh, greater and bigger audiences. I mean, Coles would never just do a Christmas campaign and then call it a year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Lou, does it work? Well, it does. I mean, the example that Georgina was mentioning about the, uh, the, the grocery chain in Auburn, um, I know that uh, there was one major retailer who um, was, couldn't understand why uh, they couldn't get their Auburn store to perform. And then um, they just did a little bit of cultural research and realised that um, they thought the solution was price. Uh, so they were just trying to price match what the other smaller retailers were doing. And it wasn't. It was store layout. So, you know, they didn't realise that, as you're saying, bigger families, they like to buy in bulk. So rather than picking two or three items off a shelf in a box, they wanted bins. They wanted to be able to get in there and, and feel the produce and, and, and experience the product um, and wanted to buy in bulk and think that they're getting a good, good deal and good value. So just by doing small changes to the store layout or understanding that at Ramadan, you know, instead of one box of dates, let's have 10 because 
you know, it's obviously a snack that people eat. So at that period, so it's not necessarily just putting in specific cultural products, it's understanding the makeup of your audience. And it's not a one, once or twice a year thing, it is a full year commitment. And it's understanding your audience. And off the back of that, when the businesses start to see results, they'll be the ones that will be saying to, to head office, can we invest some money in some <coughs> local area marketing because we're starting to see some traffic come through. So it's, you know, it comes to the, from, the, from the top, from the original strategy, as well from, you know, from the actual retail or, or localised message as well. Um, in terms of other brands, other brands have used um, multicultural to not only, um, you know, grow their brand, but regrow their brand. So, you know, one, one major telco, um, you know, a few years ago was, was on the nose. Um, however, being a global brand, they, um, they uh, focused their energies on multicultural audiences, where the brand was strong and where the reputation was strong and where the product was performing well. And off the back of that, they, you know, they solved their, their issues uh, elsewhere and they were able to you know, build a solid base under a, a strong multicultural audience who we know is growing and will continue to grow and then tap into the, you know, the cultural insights that Australians love to travel, they love, you know, they, 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 you know, we're explorers, we like to go around, um, so we want to have a, a phone network that we can use wherever we go. So by using that um, culture insight, they were able to regrow their brand and develop a really strong base to develop on. So it works both ways. It's, it's, it's about growth and it's also about, you know, reinventing yourself as well. So Lou's really um, very humble, um, in case you didn't know. So he can't talk about the brand, but, and I can't talk about the brand, but I can give you a hint to where it is. So he works for Ecom. So if you Google their, their site, you know what um, global brand he's talking about. And I can vouch that actually the, the stuff that they're doing delivered actual tangible results. As you know, um, and because we work in Optus, it is so competitive that you can't share this data, but it's, it's actually um, the fact that it moved the needle. And, and why would it move the needle? You heard today um, about research in terms of um, grocery consumption. Um, th this is not us talking. This is actually grocery uh, Nielsen scans. So it's actually people's actual usage. Um, they looked at the, um, the Asian-Australian market, and they said, um, according to actual purchase, um, the growth in terms of Asian Australians, in terms of grocery buying, was almost five times higher than the average population. Um, and then where do they over-index? They over-index in health and beauty. It's 150% over-index. So isn't that the hint that if you have a catalogue, you might find an area of interest and then you might promote that a bit more versus something else, like pet food, which under-indexed significantly for this audience. Now, that's a broad, sweeping statement, but it, it gives you an idea of a sense of direction. Um, and the other thing, I think, which most of the panel touched on is, we have data now. So when we work with a retail client, you can actually heat map their location and find out that the key communities in, in that area to be really targeted. It's not like 200 languages you need to translate. You just need to find right. the right it's, group it's um, to, to, to do it. And, and data these days is so easy um, to do. And it's, sorry, it's, it's not just done in, out of home. It's done through mobile. It's done through apps. It's, mm. it's, it's done through digital. So there, there's a multitude of ways to target these people in their local area. Yeah. Mm. Tan, can I just give you one additional example, which is actually an overseas one? So... Um, in 2011, Walmart announced that the only growth that they, were, they could foresee was going to come from mm. multicultural markets. And for them, that was a real challenge because they had declining revenues and it was like rapid decline. 
Um, so they needed to reverse that. So they made a call that they would only invest their marketing in new um, categories, but they would maintain what they had. Um, so they actually took a, what they call a total mark approach um, in terms of finding a way to create a strategic platform, a, a creative platform, and then execute against each segment accordingly. Um, and, you know, fast forward seven years. they In year one, they reversed that decline. Um, but what's really interesting, I think, is currently, sort of in the last four years, their share price has gone to like $120, where it used to be line ball with Target, which still sits at 40 mm. So not only have they actually improved their revenue, they've improved the value of the organisation through their share price as well, with what was a pretty bolshy and highly received in a very sceptical market. Um, but following suit now are a tonne of other brands and organisations going, well, actually, maybe that was the way to do it. Thank you uh, so much for our final panel of the day. And I would just like to close also to the rest of our speakers for taking the time out. Um, and thank you to our sponsors, Val Morgan, the Epoch Times and Multi Connections for their support. I'd also like to thank you all for being here in the room and having the conversations and showing the appetite for this amongst Australian agencies and marketers. So thank you all for today. Um, I'm sure there's some, uh, some things you can take away and uh, apply to your own businesses. So thank you so much and we'll see you next time. Thank you. You've been listening to a special edition of the Ad News podcast from our Ad News Live Reframing Australia event. Check out our website for more content. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.